Welcome to the Emergency Management Podcast, a show about planning for, responding to, and recovering from emergencies. I'm Stuart Walker, and on today's show, I'm speaking with Chris Wilms from the Country Fire Authority about the peer mentor program for volunteer leaders. Chris holds a master's degree in organizational dynamics and is in the final stages of her doctorate studies, focusing on how to better prepare and support volunteer firefighting captains. Chris Wills, welcome to the Emergency Management Podcast. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Can you describe your current role with CFA and what attracted you to work in the leadership and management professional development area? For many years, I was working at Fisville. I was working with career staff on recruit courses, on specialist courses. And then I began to work more and more with volunteers. And I was working in the leadership space, focusing on command and control. So I was training and assessing and coaching senior volunteer leaders around management of structural fires and incidents. And what I would hear over and over again, particularly from captains, was that where they found the greatest challenges in their role was less around the operational aspects of leadership and more around the management aspects of their role. So more around people and brigade management. And so I started to look for programs that I could plug them into that would help them with their development in that area. And I wasn't able to find anything that was widely available or that could fit the needs of individual captains. Because as you would be aware, every captain and first lieutenant from integrated brigades, who my work also encompasses now, are different individuals who bring different skills and experiences into their roles and they're leading different groups of people under different circumstances. I I was looking for something that would be able to support them through those broader management aspects of their role. And together with Ops Manager James Dullard, we actually built a mentoring program as a pilot in District 14 and ran that and it was intended to just be uh, a local piece of work to support local captains in that district. Did that for a number of years began in 2012 and then gradually started to get more and more interest. There were I worked with a number of ops officers on the program and they started to get inquiries from their colleagues and I was starting to get people asking me about the program from other districts and whether there was capacity for other districts who were interested in looking at the same model. And so that led to an opportunity for me to be state-based so that I could work alongside district teams who were interested in, in that particular program. My work primarily focused focuses on supporting captains, but I do have some other programs which are a little bit broader and focus on uh, other officer roles and also future and emergent leaders as well. So that's how it all came about, Stuart. It, It kind of happened in an unplanned way, but now has become my absolute passion. And it sounds like your program has been taken up across the entire state. Can you describe the mentoring program that you developed? What is it and how does it work? It's a program that puts a structure and a framework around carefully considered matched mentor-mentee partnerships. It's a developmental model of mentoring. It's professional development. So while I sit in training, it's not a training program. It's not outcome focused. The outcomes are deliberately subjective because every captain is is different and their circumstances are different. So this program has the ability to be able to be 
equally relevant and useful to a captain of a busy urban brigade who's running a thousand calls a year and managing 150 people uh, as it is to a captain who has in a little tin shed in the middle of nowhere with three members who are all over 75 and then everything in between that because it's driven by the mentees and it's about how they would like to develop their own personal and professional growth. So we don't give the participants a a kind of list of boxes that they need to tick. We set up the partnerships, we carefully match them and that's done based on the local knowledge of the of the district teams and then we support those partnerships through a defined period of time so it's it's a long program but it's not an onerous program from a time commitment perspective we suggest that the partners perhaps might catch up for a conversation about once every four to six weeks and the reason that it's a long program, it runs for around about six to eight months live with the participants is to allow them time to get comfortable with each other because often the mentor and mentees won't know each other. They won't have had a former relationship. That's part of the point of it is to not to replace existing informal mentors that a mentee might have around them, but to introduce them to someone and set up a relationship with someone that they might not normally have an opportunity to have access to. And and to allow them to to build confidence and trust in that person and to establish a bit of a connection and a relationship. And we, we further support the personal and professional growth that takes place for the program participants, both mentors and mentees, through a number of facilitated workshops and professional development activities that take place through the program year. So typically there's three of those for the mentors and uh, two for the mentee groups. And sometimes we combine them together. It depends a bit on the program. We have fairly uh, defined principles and key processes that we know uh, make the program effective and we know are the reasons why it works really well. But we also have the ability to be able to tweak it around the edges and tailor it to meet the needs of each individual district. So as most people would be aware, each district has its own particular uh, demographics and nature and circumstances. And so what works for District 8, you couldn't pick that up and drop it in exactly the same format in District 20, for example. We need to be able to work with the local circumstances and in the local environment. And so we're able to do that really well because we partner with the district team. So it's, it's a very collaborative program. My role is that I support the district teams that run the programs on the ground um, at, at state level uh, and work very closely with them through each of the key milestones of the program, train them, particularly through the, their first year of the rollout. Uh, but, yeah, we work very closely in partnership with the uh, the catchment teams in the districts around uh, participant selection. And uh, the programs are run on the ground by uh, members of the volunteer sustainability team. And we have uh, operations officers involved in most districts as well. And in some instances, we have a couple of key senior volunteers that uh, also support in a voluntary capacity as program staff. You mentioned uh, that you work with the district in order to select future participants. 
how are the participants selected and what sort of process does okay, that look like? Good question. So a lot of work goes into establishing who the participants will be. Because it's not a training program, it's actually targeted professional development. And unfortunately, we don't have the capacity or the resources to be able to offer this to every single captain who may want it in the districts that are running the program. So we tend to work with an average of around about six partnerships per district per year, sometimes a little more than that, sometimes a little less, it depends. The way that the mentors are selected is that we have a, a what we call a, a brainstorming session for want of a better word that involves the ops manager and the catchment teams. And we have a set of key selection criteria and selection guidelines that we measure potential mentor candidates against. So they don't necessarily know that they're being thought about for this role until they're invited to be part of the program. And while we do have those processes in place, there is also an element of subjectivity to it as well, because what we're looking for in mentors are a number of different key important criteria. So we're looking for people that will have a valence for being able to mentor authentically to this model. So what that means for us is that they're going to be able to behave in a way that they will create a confidential environment for their mentee partner to be able to have conversations with them about whatever the mentee wants to talk about. Mentor's role is not to tell the mentee what to do. It's not to assume responsibility for anything that's going on in the mentee's brigade. It's not to solve problems or issues for the mentee. It's to create a space where they can draw out the mentee's own ideas, their own strategies, their own solutions to the things that they want to discuss. And so in some cases, that may actually be particular challenges that they're facing in their leadership circumstances currently. But it might also be thinking strategically and planning for the next two, four, six years, you know, whatever amount of time they want to spend in leadership. So they need to be people that are going to be able to resist jumping in and automatically giving the answers to problems. They need to be people who have a breadth of leadership and management expertise. So most of our mentors are current or former captains, but not always. So some of them have other extensive leadership experience from within CFA. So they might be uh, have had experience in a, gr- in a group role as a leader. Uh, They might be some of our, a small percentage of our mentors are actually retired career staff. So retired ops officers or ops managers or ACOs who uh, are still volunteers and who understand the challenges and the intricacies of a captain's role. Uh, Sometimes they're people that uh, are volunteers that have never been a captain, but that they bring extensive leadership and management experience into the mentoring role from what they do outside CFA. So we consider all of those sorts of things. Our mentors aren't necessarily people who have been captains for the longest periods of time, although some of them have. They're from all, they represent a variety of different types of brigades. You know, we, in our mentor pool, it wouldn't make sense for all of our mentors to come from busy uh, urban brigades because not all our mentees come from that type of brigade. Equally, it wouldn't make sense for all of our, our mentors to come from small brigades that are only 
doing a handful of calls a year. So we need to have uh, a mix of uh, different levels of experience so that there's the, the potential for rapport to be established between the matches uh, through the types of brigades that, that they've led. And then most importantly, we're looking for captains who have led through a range of circumstances. So, you know, they may have led, our mentors may have led successfully through a challenging change process or through perhaps a potentially challenging HR situation that's been going on in the brigade over a long period of time or they've re-energised or re-motivated a brigade that might have been struggling for a particular reason. So they're captains, the mentors are captains who who have set really good examples of really positive leadership they're not they're they're going to be people who have had their challenges themselves you know we're not holding them up to be perfect examples of captains who've never made mistakes that's part of what we're looking for is people that are relatable so we're, we're looking for a whole range of people but essentially people that the district are comfortable are going to be able to do the role authentically and have the right sorts of personalities to be able to get along with the people that we're matching them with. So that's the mentors. Uh, with the mentees, we go through a, a kind of somewhat similar process, although we don't have the same number of key selection criteria. What we're looking for with mentees, there's a couple of things in particular. One is that they need to be people that are going to be open to this kind of personal and professional development. Because it's not outcome driven in the sense that we're not giving people assessments, we're not giving them lists of things, of tasks that they have to achieve, we're essentially expecting them to come up with their own ideas about how they will use this opportunity. That is not necessarily a natural fit for everybody. So we we want people that we think are going to uh, be open to support and professional development. The other thing that's really critical with mentees is that they are people that are already doing a good job. So our mentees are current captains. They can be at any stage of their captaincy. They're not always new captains. No, Um, many of them are, but they're certainly not always new captains. It depends very much on their circumstances. So yeah, it's much more about what sorts of challenges might they be facing in their leadership or what kind of aspirations do they have for themselves as leaders and for their brigades than about where they are in their in their role because if we're doing a first year rollout with a program we might have some really good mentee candidates that are several years into their into their captaincy uh, with the mentee so we're looking for people that are have either already indicated perhaps to their catchment officers or to their bassos or to their ops manager that they are already having ideas about things that they would like to achieve in leadership. And they can be really – they don't have to be things on a really big scale. They can be as simple as, you know, just wanting to lift the level of engagement with their communities a little, perhaps instigating a, a regular barbecue or something to engage with the community. 
It could be that they've got fresh ideas about uh, how they would like to make some changes in the brigade around training or uh, social events or uh, cultural change perhaps. It might be about changing the demographics a little in a brigade by bringing, trying to attract youth or a gender mix or something like that. Uh, it could be that we know that they are managing circumstances where they have you know, a mix of of traditional members who are really important and valued in the brigade and have been around for a long time and are used to doing things a particular way, but they're also looking to bring in new members who are perhaps going to challenge some of that thinking a little bit and and be wanting to do things differently. And for a captain, that can be quite a challenge to kind of bring those groups together and make sure everyone is engaged and, and valued. So it might be that we want to offer a captain an opportunity to be, to be supported a little bit to develop those ideas. We know that sometimes captains take on the role following them in the footsteps of really long-term leaders who have done the role before them. So in some cases, it could be a captain who's been in place for 10, 20, 30. I met someone yesterday who, uh, sorry, last week who had followed a 40-year captain. Now that's huge. You know, you can imagine what that would feel like to try to be your own self as a leader and grow into your own leadership shoes rather than try to follow in the footsteps of that person, particularly if it's somebody, as we often see in CFA, if that person happens to be your father or your grandfather, you know, because we have the often have the family lines in CFA, which is wonderful, but it's also good to sometimes get an external fresh perspective from somebody who has no vested interest in what's going on in your brigade and that you can just bounce things off who's who's not part of your brigade. So there are lots of different reasons why we uh, might target a mentee, but typically they're people who the district catchment teams are thinking that you know, this, this program invests a lot of resources around a small number of people. And the benefits of that are that we get the, the flow on and ripple effect of having well-supported captains and the, and the benefits of that flow on to the whole of the brigade and up to the catchment teams. But we can only do it for a small number of people. So sometimes it's about who do we, who do we make this investment in, who potentially might have long-term future leadership potential in a district, or could it be the opposite in some circumstances it might be that we're working with captains who really didn't want to be captain mm, in the that first does place happen. it happens a lot you know they will often tell me that when they're tell- relating their story about how they came to be captain well everyone else took a big step back and I was just a bit slow you know and I, <laughs> I kind of got the hat so we feel that in those circumstances often we can support someone who may have been really clear that they're only going to do one term but can we make that term more comfortable for them can we help them feel better supported so that they can really feel settled and perhaps achieve something in that term rather rather than just keeping the seat warm until it's not their time anymore, not their turn anymore. So I could go on all day about the reasons we target people. It's very individual and it's able to be tailored very specifically. And then we look at our mentor pool and we go through a long 
We spend a couple of days in total setting this all up behind the scenes, but we look at the experiences of the mentors to think about who might be the best match from an experience perspective as well as personality-wise. But it's really important, I think, to stress that the mentor program, while we use the terms mentor and mentee, which is the correct terms, it's it's absolutely not a hierarchical arrangement their partnerships mm. and and the mentors report getting as much out of the program from a professional development perspective as the mentees do you mentioned earlier that the program has gone from being delivered in one cfa district and now it's across 12 districts so who supports this program at the district level and also the regional level all of our programs are currently managed by members of the volunteer sustainability team. They make amazing program managers. So each district has a has a program manager who looks after the day-to-day running of the program, does uh, a lot of the facilitation of the workshops alongside me, works with supporting the, pro- the individual partnerships all the way through the programs and also looks after the logistical arrangements. So that's a really there's a really good synergy with this program and and its goals of supporting volunteer leadership in a in a holistic way and the other work that the volunteer sustainability team do. So we're very fortunate to have that partnership and they're they're amazing people. They're incredible to work with. Uh, we also work with uh, with the ops team. So we're very well supported by each of the ops teams that um, run the program. Uh, in some instances, we have uh, ops managers that get involved with the workshops themselves where they, where they possibly can, which is wonderful for the participants. Uh, but we also have in, in in most districts, we have at least one, sometimes more than one ops officer attached to the program as well. And their role is that they'll take part in some of the early partnership meetings. So early on in the program, we run what we call a facilitated partnership meeting, which means the first meeting between mentor and mentee has program staff present just to explain a bit about the program and make it feel a little bit more comfortable than just sort of sending them off by themselves. After that, they self-manage and they they schedule themselves. And also, we we generally would have one of the ops officers present at the workshops. And it's again, it's a natural synergy. The captain's chain of command is through the operations stream. And so, what the operations officers report about being involved in this program is that it enhances their connection to other captains that perhaps aren't necessarily in their catchments and it provides a more connected district through the relationships that form between the program staff and the senior volunteers in the district people just feel more comfortable to have those have conversations with each other which is just wonderful and again the ops officers that tend to be attracted to this program really have a very genuine desire and passion to support volunteer leaders because they work with this program on top of all of their other work nothing gets taken off them Mm. so that they can be part of this so they are absolutely wonderful and then in two districts, in Districts 12 and District 22, through different circumstances, we trialled something different up there. And both of the ops managers up there felt quite strongly that they wanted to, uh, they both had a particularly well-known senior volunteer leader in their patch that they thought they would like to invite to be part of the program staff. So not to uh, usurp the role that an ops officer would would, uh, normally take, but to complement 
that. Uh, and so, and they chose incredibly well. And so we have two wonderful volunteers on top of all of our participants who actually work as hard as the paid staff do in supporting the program. So that's an amazing development that I would imagine, particularly in some of the country districts, we may see a little bit more of that happen in the future. So these sorts of innovations are the kinds of things that happen by being open to tailoring the program to suit different circumstances in the districts. It sounds like an incredibly exciting program. Obviously, outcomes are important. So what are some of the benefits that have been highlighted by the mentees, the mentors, and I guess, are you noticing any wider benefit of the program? The the benefits that are reported are deliberately, the outcomes themselves are deliberately quite subjective. As I said, this was designed not to be a ticks in boxes type program or a competency-based training program. It is authentic professional development. So they vary from person to person. Uh, At the end of each program, uh, we do an individual exit interview with every participant. uh, And that's obviously been going on for, for seven years. We also have conversations with our participants uh, every four to six weeks all the way through the program. So we amass quite a lot of data about how people are experiencing it. For the mentors, and with hindsight, it's a no-brainer, but when we designed this program, we were really thinking about benefits for the mentees, and it wasn't until the end of the first year when all the mentors were saying to us, I reckon I got more than they did out of it. Like I learned so much because the mentees are competent, capable leaders in their own rights. Mm. You know, they're full of ideas. They're full of initiatives. They're full of um, suggestions and things that some of the mentors perhaps haven't thought of themselves. And probably because reinvigorates them to some absolutely. extent. Absolutely. And many of the mentors report, oh, my God, he gave me this idea or she gave me this idea that I'm going to try in my own brigade. They talk about and, – and one of the things that I – I would see in common with all of our mentors is they're people that whatever their age and whatever their circumstances and however long they've been part of CFA and whatever they've done in life, they love the learning journey. And so they're constantly wanting to learn and grow. And through the professional development workshops and the mentor training, which is ongoing, because we develop our mentors over a long period of time, we keep the same mentor pool from year to year, and we just bring in new people as we need to. And what we're finding now a few years down the track is that many of our new mentors are former mentees. So we've got that kind of um, evolution occurring. But the mentors talk about feeling like they're performing a role that they wish had been there for them when they started their leadership journey early on. They talk about feeling the satisfaction that they get from being able to perhaps support somebody, particularly if it is a captain who's maybe facing some challenges, or just the, the joy that they get from helping somebody to think through their ideas. Um, You know, I know for myself, if I'm stuck on something, if I'm trying to grapple with something, an idea or a concept, and I might be, it might be going round and round in my head, the same thing over and over and over again, sometimes just saying it out loud to someone 
I don't necessarily even need them to say anything back. Just saying it out loud can help the pieces slot into place. And that's what mentoring is. It's just being able to think with somebody essentially. And so the mentors get a lot of satisfaction out of that. It's hard though being a mentor. I mean, sometimes it can be really satisfying if there are problems to solve or issues to help somebody resolve. And it's not always about that. As I said, often the mentees are are, are kicking huge goals in the running of their brigades and and they're wanting to think in a much more strategic space and think about long-term planning and what legacy they might leave in their leadership to their brigade. And that can be a little more challenging for the mentors. So it's a real journey of growth and learning for them and, and that's what they report as being really satisfying. For the mentees, the outcomes are incredibly varied. I mean, sometimes there are very tangible outcomes. Sometimes they have found that being able to talk through uh, a particular challenge with with somebody in confidence has helped them solidify what the actions, cause of actions they might follow um, or different ways of approaching that. And, and they get that through the, the mentor, uh, sorry, the mentee discussion groups and, and professional development workshops as well. But when people ask me how do I measure whether or not this program is successful, for me, if a mentee at the end of it says, I feel less isolated in my leadership, I feel better connected to other people, I feel like I have people now that I can pick up the phone other than the catchment officer, I feel like I have other people that I can pick up the phone and talk to, or I feel like I'm actually on the right track. I am doing an okay job. A bit bit of validation. And I'm getting some validation Mm. from my mentor and from the program staff. Then for me, that's an outcome. You know, if they say that I feel like I just feel more self-assured in my leadership, I feel a little bit more confident in my ability to make decisions and follow them through, I feel like I am more solid in being able to follow through on on some of the, the 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 stuff that I have to do as a captain that can be really challenging in the CFA because of the complex rela- people connections and relationships that we have in our brigades and in our communities and to just feel supported and confident that they're better around managing boundaries in some of those complex relationship situations and it probably remove some of the isolation that an individual Absolutely. can feel when they are the leader at the top. Absolutely. And when we get them into the mentees into the uh, the group activities, the two or three group activities for the year, they're often run as a discussion group format and we run uh, case study scenarios. And it's not about the program staff sitting there saying, well, this is the right way to do this or this is the wrong way. It's about them, the captain, sharing and exchanging knowledge and ideas about different ways that they would handle a particular situation. And the people in the group learning from each other and taking away what's useful to them out of those conversations. And that model of learning, I think, is is incredibly valuable because the mentee group, if you if you add up the the years of leadership experience and CFA experience in each of those groups in those rooms at any one time it's extraordinary and so it just seems to have evolved into a really powerful way of of learning and then informal support networks 
occur out of that. You know, it's not unusual for us to to run a workshop where a group of people might have met each other for the first time on that night and we'll have been there for an extra half an hour or so cleaning up and packing up and shutting down the building and, and we'll head out to our cars and there's still a number of them out in the car park like still talking and still excited to have conversations because – one of the things that really surprised me when this all started was captains saying to me that often this was the first time that they'd been in a room with other captains to talk about captain stuff. So not just about operational focused meetings or group meetings, but just general day-to-day management of captain stuff. Earlier you mentioned that a leader might be following in the footsteps of someone who's been doing the job for 6, 10, 40 years you mentioned, or how can leaders make a leadership position their own? It's really important to just be be your own leader, not to try to follow in the footsteps of somebody else. I think that can be particularly challenging when somebody else has done the role for a long time ahead of you, and particularly if that, as I said earlier, if that has been a, a family member. I think it's about having space to reflect with somebody and whether that's through this program or whether it's something outside this, just having somebody that you can think with about what kind of leader do you want to be? What do you want to achieve for your brigade? And that can be as big or as small as as you want it to be. How do you want the culture of your brigade to be? How do you want to model the behaviours yourself that you would like to see in your membership. For me, it's thinking those things through and maybe talking those things through with other people and generating ideas about, you know, how how do you actually do that? And where can you seek support and advice and help to help you to develop those ideas? I think it's about you authentically leading as yourself. And we're all completely different and all of our captains are completely different rather than trying to, I mean, we all have role models, but rather than trying to model yourself on somebody else, just be authentic to yourself and be the best leader that you can be and uh, be true to you, to your nature and your personality. You don't have to be super outgoing. You don't even have to be somebody who has a huge amount of operational experience. I've worked with lots of captains who have come into the role where their strengths are more in the management space and there's lots of different variations that can work equally well. So I think it's about working with what you've got and, and building on that strength. And often managing a brigade is, is probably more about managing the people than going to call. So perhaps Absolutely. having that strength is an important Absolutely. thing. But just don't be an island. Yeah. Don't feel like you have to do everything on your own. Make connections, you know, hook into your neighbouring brigades, hook into your, to your groups and make as many connections and talk to as many people as you can. So talking about people management, can you highlight some of the difficulties that new leaders might face and how might they overcome these? Look, I think with regard to the types of difficulties that they face, uh, it, it's really difficult to encapsulate that concisely because each brigade is it, it faces such different circumstances and the challenges are, are 
incredibly complex. Like I think one of the things that captains often say to me is that they had a a fairly clear understanding perhaps of what was expected of them when they moved into captaincy around the operational aspects of the role, but they just had no idea of the challenges from the administrative processes and the brigade management processes and the interpersonal conflicts that they may, you know, perhaps have, have challenged. Probably what I would observe as being the biggest challenge for captains in a brigade, the thing that's reported to me the most is is management and progression of interpersonal conflict and member discipline issues. That can create an extraordinary amount of grief for a captain. Often I've had reported to me that one conflict, perhaps between two people in a brigade, can take up about 80-90% of their time and energy and, and that the rest of their work and the rest of the brigade they feel is neglected and perhaps suffers as a result of that. Uh, many captains report that it can take a really long time to go through a formal discipline process you know often they're extremely well supported obviously by their catchment officers and ops managers and as it moves up through the ranks depending on the severity but it is extremely difficult to remove a a long-term problematic behavioural situation from a brigade that perhaps is having a a ripple effect on the rest of the brigade membership. There are processes we have to go through, there are procedures that we have to follow. We have to make sure that uh, due process and everything's been done according to process and it's been done fairly. And that can take an extraordinary toll on somebody, particularly if they're not necessarily trained in in management of that type of issue and even though they can seek support through their catchment officers through the wellbeing team through HR services they they're still in, involved and they still feel the responsibility for it and often captains will talk to me many years after having managed an issue like that and it's still causing them grief and and discomfort so i think that is the biggest challenge and being undermined within their brigades is, is another issue. If you're a, a CEO or a senior executive of a business, then in many instances you will get to have some strong influence or get to choose your own executive leadership team. Now, with that, the election system and the way that that works, some captains have a really strong influence over who their BMT members will be. In other instances, you know, the brigade chooses the, the leadership team for them. And for some captains, there can be complexity in that space. It might be that, you know, a member of your, your leadership team is somebody who stood against you for captain and, and perhaps was unsuccessful in the role. And uh, that may contain some some challenges. Sometimes we, we do expect find that captains experience undermining behaviours in brigades and they're trying to manage those complex interpersonal issues and it might not even necessarily be from an individual perhaps who who hasn't had a successful outcome at, at an election. It might be some of their supporters. So that's another common challenge that people face. With regard to, to how do you resolve that, there's no simple answer and there's no across-the-board answer. It's a case-by-case basis and it's about tapping into every possible support resource that CFA can offer and working closely with your catchment officers to bring those issues to resolution. But being supported, whether you're in the program and you have a mentor to talk things through with, talking, being able to talk to somebody else 
in confidence who gets it mm. is just a way of being able to get it off your chest. But if you don't have that through this program, then find somebody who you can build that relationship with and, and just don't, don't hold it all inside yourself. Being a leader is, is a hugely challenging role in some of our brigades. So what would you recommend to a person considering taking on a leadership role? I think really just reinforcing what I said earlier, build those connections with other people and don't feel like you have to do it all on your own and really think about how you can uh, work with your brigade members, however many of them there may be. Some some are, some have captains have the luxury of lots of people to share the load. Others, there might only be a couple of you in the brigade. But really try to think about how you can share the responsibilities of leadership with others in your brigade so not everything sits on your shoulders. Um, and think about forming connections, formally or informally, with other leaders in CFA so that you have, have other people to talk to and learn from and share your knowledge with. Congratulations on all you've achieved and congratulations on the mentor program. It sounds fantastic. And thank you very much for joining me on the Emergency Management Podcast. Thank you, Stuart. I I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about it. And just in closing, if I can just say, people often uh, give me the accolades for this program and talk about it as being, you know, something that I've created. It's really important for me to acknowledge that this would never be more than just an idea if it wasn't for the the volunteers and and the staff that contribute to it and that make it real. That that's they're the people that make it such a great such a great success. Wonderful. Thank you Thank very you. much. Thank you for listening to the show this week. If you want to find out more about the topics discussed, go to emergencymanagementpodcast.com. Please also subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts or however you get your podcasts. You can also write to us at feedback at emergencymanagementpodcast.com. I'm Stuart Walker, and you've been listening to the Emergency Management Podcast. Bye for now.